Welcome to the Catapulting Commission's podcast. This is the place where we discuss how to maximize performance and improve retention with today's modern sales force. Every conversation on the show has one goal in mind, and that is to catapult your commission. I'm your host, Anthony Garcia, international best-selling author, motivational speaker, and a lifelong sales enthusiast. Be sure to join me every week as we interview sales leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world. We will discuss best practices and ensure that you leave motivated and inspired to take action. Now, let's enjoy today's episode. Catapulting Commissions family, what's up team? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Catapulting Commissions podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Garcia. Today's guest is Matt Cotney. He's a seasoned C-level product and technology executive, entrepreneur, advisor, author, and speaker with over 25 years of experience helping business and technology work better together. He has led divisions and portfolios for large global corporations, co-founded three companies, and advised several others. He has been an early-stage employee on two successful tech startups, advised dozens of business and technology professionals across all stages of company formation and growth. He's launched over a dozen successful products. Matt has expertise in artificial intelligence, automation, future of work, robotics, data analytics, cloud computing, and digital content across a wide range of industry experiences spanning manufacturing, media, law, life, sciences, government, and finances. He writes and speaks frequently on business and advanced technology topics. In addition to a TED Talk and keynotes, his works have been published by MIT, HarperCollins, and O'Reilly. He has appeared in books, journals, and international conferences. He is also the author of the Human Cloud book, Matt. You're a bona fide badass, man. Welcome to the Catapulting Commission's podcast. Thank you, Anthony. And it, it, it may sound more impressive than it is where it really is just I love a lot of things and, and often can't pick one. So I just do a lot. No worries, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's 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 the that's the beauty of what we do, right? I mean, you that it is. I love doing things. And so I've, I have found myself just dabbling a little this, dabbling that. Now you have your core expertise. So I totally get it, man. Uh, let's talk about it, right? the human cloud book. Available right now on Amazon. You have the Human Cloud Podcast, Catapult Commission's Family. You'll get the links to both of those in the show notes. Can you help me understand what is the premise behind the Human Cloud book? And what can my audience expect by uh, by learning from it? Sure. And I'll tell you, the book book launched in uh, January of this year, but we actually wrote it and, and sent it off to the publisher in January of 2020 which means two months before the pandemic. And it's all about the future of work and predominantly virtual project-based work and different styles of that, including things like freelancing, uh, but then also technology and AI and, and the you know on, on coming automation revolution that we're seeing. And so we wrote all that saying, in, in the next five to 10 years, we're gonna get to these things. And then two months later, the pandemic happened and fast forward. So it really was, it was, it was timely in that a lot of these are more oppression topics now than, than certainly when we were first writing them. So hundred percent. I mean, I think the, you know, I, I, I've made the joke multiple times on air and I joke with my colleagues, there's no graduate program that was teaching people how to overcome a pandemic. So it was really, truly the, the best education for, for thought leaders and executives and C-suite individuals. But you talk about the human cloud in, in the terms of the future of work in automation. So I hear the the automation and, and freelancing. Are we going to lose what we you and I both know as the modern day um, workspace, right? For for sales professionals, let's say a sales professional gets hired for a company. 
I go work for XYZ company, Fortune 500 company. I get paid a, a small salary, I get paid a lot of commissions, bonuses, and I go sell this product, you know, hand-to-hand, door-to-door, in-face combat. Are you saying that that's going to be changing or, or are we going to adapt? Are we having a new innovation on that? Yeah, I, I think we will adapt and I, I've already seen it happening. Uh, if you think about the product life cycle, so I, I am a lot in technology, so I see product sales and work with a lot of, of sales folks in that industry. And, and they're moving organizations sometimes every two to three years, not because they're poor performers or anything or they don't like the company. It's because the products mature and sort of fall off. And then the next iteration comes about. And that used to take a decade or more, or you could, or the, you know, you could make a whole career out of it. And today it's just that, that volatility and, and flexibility and movement. I think that will naturally start to change how sales leaders think about their teams and how we structure arrangements with salespeople. I don't know too many companies that are doing that yet, but it's got, I mean, it's got to come because of the talent war and just the nature of how the, the tech is evolving so quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think that the talent war right now is is at an all-time high, right? That's Absolutely. Why I just read, Every I just sector. Read, yeah, it, does, pick, it doesn't matter who it is. We're all fighting for the best people. And then at the same time, I've, the, the great resignation is taking place right now. Forbes, Fortune, Inc., Business Insider, they've all written articles talking about it. I think I just read an article yesterday in Harvard Business Review. So it's it's people are leaving companies that aren't appreciating them. We're looking and saying, okay, we're going to automate. And then the life cycle of a product, which until you said that right now, Matt, it's never really hit me because I've talked on the show about uh, sales rep retention, where it's it's getting shorter and shorter. We have a hard time retaining top salespeople. I've always looked at it on, on literally live on air. I've always looked at this from the aspect of it's a sales leader issue. Like you can't retain your people, but you're saying in the technical space specifically, which I think goes technical, goes medical. I mean, it goes, I mean, the, you know, the days of like a tangible, I don't want to say non electronic product that is amazing are really slim. I mean, those are, I don't want to say the relics, but it's just, you know, they're slim. Everything is, has technically, has technically advanced this day. So as a product, life cycle becomes stale, which you're saying we're seeing salespeople saying, okay, I'm going to yeah. go to the next best yeah, product. You your top performers are, and, and I saw it, a random, you know, not a very interesting uh, field, but storage, uh, like computer storage and cloud mm-hmm. storage and all of that. The, the innovation that's happening there is almost on like a six to 12 month cycle. So you're seeing vendors that were top notch two years ago being leapfrogged and then that being leapfrogged again. And the salespeople that I know in that space they're following the they're following the the dough, <laughs> following the money. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, I can get a lot more money over here because it's selling. So that that churn is is really a challenge. Yeah. But I do you know, think I will say I do I do think there's opportunity for the for the companies and for the sales leaders. You know, how do you manage to that? How do you how do you get longer sales uh, life cycles out of products? How do you continue to innovate? As a sales leader, how do you get that message and that feedback back to your product people quicker? So that they are aware and they're innovating and just not sitting on, you know, resting on their laurels. Yeah, I, I mean, I think 100% we have to take an internal look and say, is what we're putting out there top of class? And can it retain top of class? Because if I don't have a top of class product and I'm not, and I'm not top of class, then I'm not going to have top of class sales reps. It's just the, 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 the talent war is high, but the dough, you said, you know, you can sell some of the dough follows you. But I know myself specifically, I have had numerous startups in my career who've 
you know, they'll follow your work. They listen to the podcast. They reach out with some really large numbers to say, hey, will you come sell this new product? This, and and I've joked, like, I have no experience in this product space, right? But they're, they're doing what, you know, what as a sales rep does, you're trying to find that customer that's going to feed the whales. They're like, okay, who can be my, my next war hero that can go out and, and drive revenue, which brings up a challenge here. I, as a salesperson, grew up in, I would call the old school sales model, right? Business to business, I was knocking on doors. And, and I've converted over the past 20 years to being uh, more technically advanced. I have, a, I have a strong background in medical, so I had to get medically advanced. Uh, but one of the questions that I often get asked to me, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this, how do I, as a sales rep, excel in a technical space when I really don't have a technical background? Yeah. Because yeah. I've, I have sat there and I'm like, okay, you're going to go speak to a group of engineers. You're, gonna, you're not an engineer. You're a salesperson. Your degree was in communications. You're, 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 you, are, you are the person that took the classes in college that were easy. These are the guys <laughs> that are like thinking leaps and bounds ahead of you. How do I excel in this space? So, so let's talk about that. Is there yeah. something that we're missing? I mean, help me understand here. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And we, we actually talk a bit about that in the book, too, about, you know, the question, should everybody go to school and become a developer? And, and we say no. Uh, if you love that, great. But we don't need we don't need everybody to be developers. We do need people that understand technical skills at a high level. And I think one of the challenges I've seen with sales folks is they'll dive deep into the minutia of the technology and they'll miss the higher level design patterns and the pressure points. And the, so it's you think you talk back about your old, you know, sort of the traditional sales model, pain points, you know, pressure to buy, those types of things still apply. You need to have enough technical vernacular to, to listen for those, but you don't need to know necessarily all how it works. So it's, it's, it's sort of stepping up a little bit, um, abstracting up the stack. And as long as you do that, I, I've, I've seen people be very effective that are not, and that's, and that's fine, they're not technical people, but they, they can pass muster. Yeah, it's, it's, it really becomes that. The ability to influence and then is something that, and I, I would love your take on this. I don't know if we're going to ever be able to automate the ability to actually influence somebody. I, I know we can not. automate a lot of different areas, but that ability to yeah. influence, which is really what what we're looking for in a sales process, no matter uh, if I'm you know pound you know one to one traditional old school sales, or if I'm in a long complex sales cycle and I'm trying to navigate a Fortune 500 company to get to the to C suite executive decision team. Everybody in front of me that I'm speaking to, I have to influence to either support me, say yes, advance beyond in the process. We can't really, in my opinion, I'm not think, I don't see that ever being automated. I see other parts of the sales process being automated in the future. But what you're saying is just take the time to, to educate yourself truly in that technical space. Don't need to code, don't need to develop, but you do need, do need to know what we're speaking about. Is that, that right. a fair assessment? That's, that is a fair assessment. And if you, if you study those patterns and sort of the design of it as opposed to the details, you're much more nimble as well, because as the detailed technologies change, you still understand the concepts and you evolve with it. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a way of future-proofing as well. And that goes that cuts across you know, whether you're a leader, uh, an executive business, executive finance, uh, whatever. <laughs> so it's a, it's a universal skill. The, the other thing I'd say that I've found, technology is becoming very good at automating the kinds of things that we would normally spend a lot of time on, but do not add value. Mm -hmm. So it's the, it's the administration, it's the, the billing and the CRM management and the contact management and, you know, communication, drafting, social media, all of these things that take a lot of time, but aren't necessarily a lot of brain power. 
And you can use that so that instead of spending 80% of your time doing that, you're automating that and you can spend all of your time or most of your time out there actually talking with customers and influencing. Yeah. It's... Without needing a super expensive sales enablement team, right? You could have a few people that understand sales enablement and use the technology to its most uh, most advantage. Yeah. You know, I, I'll tell you this something, Matt. I, I completely, that makes a lot of sense when you're saying the automation. And I'll tell you from firsthand experience, when you introduce technology or automation to a sales team, yeah. and, and I hate saying this because it sounds, I, I just got to be blunt. I don't ever lie on the show, right? There's two, there's two, at this point, there's three generations in the workforce, right? You have a generation in the workforce that's going to be like, Anthony, I've been working and doing this capacity for 25 years. I'm not using this new widget, this new app, whatever. Like I like my handwritten notebook. I like my handwritten emails. I am just leave me alone. You have a, the mid-range group, right? So, uh, you know, your millennials in the workforce that are like, okay, I can adapt. You know, you, you like it's. I feel like those are the jump balls. Some are like, yeah, I'll adapt. Some hold on. Then you have your your younger generation. I don't know what they're the generation Z or whatever, <laughs> whatever they're called now. Yeah, <laughs> who who come in with full automation, fully technically advanced, and and are changing things. So, as a sales leader, right? There's someone listening to this right now that's saying, Matt, I agree with you. I want to have an automation take place in my sales force. I have a sales force of 600 sales reps. We do half a billion dollars in annual revenue. However, if I'm going to go invest in an automation system, how do I get adaption from my entire sales team? Mm -hmm. The entire is the, the hard part. Uh, the So the industries that I've been, I, I work a lot with professionals, uh, predominantly mm -hmm. lawyers and doctors. Okay. And so the same challenges you just described run the gamut there and in, in spades. And uh, I, I found you can't, <laughs> if you strive for 100% adoption, uh, you better have some very strong uh, incentives and penalties to be able to manage that because doing it voluntarily is, is nearly impossible. And in a partnership model like a law firm, you can't. So it, it really comes down to, again, using those skills of influence, uh, following the uh, John Cotter, you mentioned a Harvard Business Review earlier. Uh, John Cotter is a professor mm -hmm. there and he has a book called Leading Change. Uh, if you're trying to introduce anything, a new process, automation, et cetera, follow, uh, read that book, follow that process, because it talks about how you can build champions, you get early wins, and you start building and integrating it into the culture. And you, what I have done in the past for technology adoption is you measure it. So measure what your adoption rates are for those and set a benchmark, set a goal. You do your you do your sort of yeah, whatever it is your communications and your adoption awareness training all of that and then measure that over time and see how you're progressing toward your goal. Uh, but if you set a goal at 100, percent that's really really tough. It, it really is to be honest. So maybe you get 70 percent of the way there. You're seeing the value of it and you call it good enough. You know I, I like I like what you're saying there because it is setting realistic expectations. But what yes. you just described, Matt. Is, is something that I think uh, we get into to sales leadership. We sometimes often forget we have to sell our vision to our sales employees, to our sales teams. And and I've seen technique, tech, tech, uh, I've seen technology enhancements roll out in sales companies that have been, hey, let's get an early group of adopters, let's innovate, let's sell, let's let's do what you just said, which is let me sell you why this is going to be impactful and not not sell you in the aspect of, oh, here's, you know, I don't need all the bells and whistles. I just, I need no. results. I need to roll this sure. out in a fashion that I can get accustomed to, right? It's the same way. How do you, you know, Dabo Sweeney, right? How do you eat an elephant? You take one bite at a time. So you just, you go really slowly on it. 
versus I've also seen sales companies, hey, hard stop. We're going to cut off your current method of of your CRM or whatever you're doing on <laughs> October 1. And on October 2, you're using this new system. And, you know, I mean, I think that's where the talent war comes in because, you know, you take a disgruntled employee who's like, you're changing my method. New startup comes up that may not have the structure to set up the the automation or can invest in it, but is grip product wants to invest in something and says, okay, I'm going to um, I'm going to excel and sell this product or or this service um, to you without having to change what you're currently doing. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, so. it does. It does. And I'm so I was a, uh, a software developer early in my career and sort of made the pivot into management. And I will tell you, sort of fell flat on my face many a time as I learned the hard way. What you know, it's the same. I think with sales professionals that become sales leaders, it's a different job. You are now a leader, and and that is a hard transition for many to make. It comes with practice and learning to get better at it. But it's not a natural transition for many of us. And so I'd say don't be too hard on yourself, but also yeah, take take the effort, learn these kind of techniques and, and find mentors that can coach you through this because it's a, it's a big shift. I'm sure you've talked about that on the show in the past. I, I have, but Matt, I'm definitely going to peel your peel some layers back on that because yeah. what you just said right now is it seems to be a challenge that we've experienced over and over again. Um, I, I've, I've, I recorded a show once that just said just because you're a great sales professional, it doesn't mean you're the great a great sales leader. It's it's the hard reality, right? Salespeople, we go from individual contributor to sales manager, you go to team leader, head coach, right? And it's no longer about you. And then it, as you go up, and there's this pivotal point where I really haven't, um, I haven't peeled the layers back yet, but there's a pivotal point in the career advancement of a sales professional where you go from sales rep to sales manager to sales executive to C-suite, where your interest slowly change, right? As a sales professional, my interests are, what's in it for me? How can I make the most commission for my family? How can I provide stability? As a sales manager, then it becomes, how can I create, uh, you know, everlasting change for my sales team and, and get people excited? Somewhere between that sales manager role to the entry door to the C-suite, it goes from that to bottom line, profitability, and then you go to the C-suite, and if you're a publicly traded company, I mean, then it goes to shareholders, and your responsibilities will shift. We're all on the same team. We're going in the same direction, but we just have different people we report to. I would love to hear your take on some of the mistakes to avoid, and, and just, just let's just dive through it. As someone who advances that, that, that path to leadership, what are some of the mistakes they can avoid, and what are some of the mistakes you made as you advance through leadership? You've had different capacities, as you said, you know, sales, uh, software, working it all your way up into a leadership, startup companies, experienced companies. Love to hear your take on this. Sure, sure. Yeah. And the you're absolutely right. To me, the biggest hurdle for people is the jump from manager to, let's say, director or VP, because the frame of reference completely shifts from I'm doing what's best for my team to I'm doing what's best for the company. And and that is, it seems like a natural, and you just say it, and you're like, okay, that makes sense. But the hangup is, so let's say someone goes from a sales manager to a sales uh, VP. Well, naturally, right? That means that they've got a larger team, and they're just looking after that larger team. No, they need to be much, much more engaged with product. They need to have an eye toward marketing and what's the long-term investment and what's the trade-off. If we sell something we can't really deliver on, 
it's great for sales, but it's bad for delivery. A salesperson might say, well, I don't care, but the sales VP absolutely should say. So that, that transition, and it's hard for so, so many people. Um, but otherwise, from a just sheer management, like the, all the mistakes I've made, uh, you find the sweet spot because I was, uh, I think for all of us that are experts in our field, we are micromanagers when we first move into management because we mm-hmm. have it done our way and we're going to tell everybody how to do it. And it's our way and the only way. And it's so tough, so tough. And, and you know, you will burn your people out and they believe. And so then I, I sort of pivoted. I said, well, I'm controlling too much. I need to let go of the reins. And I let go too much. Very laissez-faire. And I'll oh, just, you know, do whatever you want. I'm here to support you. I'm the, I'm the nice guy. I'm here to support you. And they didn't have the support they needed to grow. And the same problem happened. So it, it really it was finding that middle ground. And there's a, uh, you may know it, Anthony, there's a, a discipline and a training sort of coaching program around something called situational leadership. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not situational to just the individual. It actually goes down to the individual and the task and how capable and confident they are. And everybody goes through a journey. And so that was one of the big mistakes. You have a top performer and you just give them all everything and you don't give him any coaching. And he gets something that all of a sudden he's not as good at and he doesn't feel supported, he or she, and, and they're stuck. And then they come to you for help and you're like, you got this, you're good. And so it, it's that understanding and adapting your management style and coaching to them that's, that's so essential. So there's, there's a couple of things that I've definitely stumbled my way through. Hey, I wanted to take a quick minute and interrupt this episode. I hope you're enjoying what you have heard thus far. Have you heard the good news? The international best-selling book, Catapulting Commissions, has been named a 2021 Selling Power Magazine book recommendation. And I want to thank you, the Catapulting Commissions family. You can claim a free copy by texting hello to 661-228-8967. You can also find out more information at catapultingcommissions.com. Okay, let's get back to the show. Well, one, appreciate you sharing the vulnerability of stumbling your way, right? We we often get to the point, we, we only see the end product. So I look at people and say, okay, well, I see Matt. He wrote a great book. He's, he sounds intelligent. He has some great thoughts. Holy crap, Matt, you struggle with things the way everyone else struggles with. So Catapult <laughs> Commission's does. family, I, I want you to listen to here, right? There is not anybody who was woke up and said, hey, I just became the perfect leader. It just doesn't happen. Matt has over 25 years of experience. I'm pushing on 20 years of experience. And I'm telling you guys, it is, uh, we only learn because we make mistakes. I mean, fair enough, Matt. And that's the, oh, I hate, absolutely. I hate absolutely. saying it because it's, <laughs> some of your mistakes are pretty expensive, but we learn and, 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 you know, some mistakes have consequences, right? You, it's a give and take effect. If you are in a position of sales leadership and you make some major mistakes in how you manage your people, how you roll your people, the company you may be with may not be there to weather that mistake. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. Doesn't mean you're a horrible leader. It just means we've learned from when we grow. And obviously you try to short the learning curve through reading books, taking courses, listening to podcasts, but there's nothing that's going to shortcut that real world experience. You know, as, as you and said, that is, uh, yeah, no, that's something that I've, I, I've found as I learned a lot about freelancing as because, uh, we wrote this book because the, the co-author uh, is a good friend of mine is deep into that space. And I'm much more on the technology side. But the, the benefit of freelancing and even things like micro internships when you're going through school, you just get so many more touches on the ball if you're a soccer fan, right, or, or mm-hmm. basketball. And so it just, it expedites that learning curve, including that failing curve in a safer space because the stakes are smaller. 
So one of the things I'd say for uh, for any leader, sales leaders included, is what are things that you can create, opportunities you can create for your team that let them try in a safer space, a lower stakes game for things that they're not as good at so that they build that experience yet aren't damaging the company, right? So is there is there a new client that is sort of the C-list and you don't really care? Give it to this person, let them try it out. They're not, you're not giving them to, and that's common sense, but things like that or other kinds of projects, social media, marketing, give the young folks the opportunity to try something innovative, let them fall on their face perhaps, but give them that space. I love it. I love it because that is that that is one of those things that newer newer leaders, newer sales managers struggle with. And I, and I would even articulate as you work up the corporate ladder that newer VPs, new directors sometimes struggle with, right? Because everything is a representation of the leader. So if I am the regional manager or if I become the director, whatever takes place in my organization is a reflection of me. But I can't trust you with some of the big projects. Because I, yeah, I'm still the jury's still. I don't know if you can execute or not. So yeah, give me, give me, you know, pass on some of the C level stuff to to people. Let people fail. Give them that wiggle room to fail. Because you know, if they fail on a C level project, is it really going to hurt you a lot? Probably not. But you'll gain more from the right person failing, learning to overcome, and succeeding on the next opportunity. Or you'll even get more impressed if someone does execute on something. You're like, ah, this had a higher level, a higher possibility of failure than a higher possibility of success. Right. So yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. So you talked about freelancing. Can can you kind of elaborate a little bit on this concept of, of freelancing and how is this going to change the future uh, future of work? Like for let's say sales professionals, sales leaders. I mean, everyone talks about it now. I don't think I've never had anybody on the show that's completely outlined. Let's let's dive into what is freelancing for sales professionals. Yeah. So let's start what it what it is, and then how I see it evolving. Uh, so freelancing is effectively you're an independent contractor, and it, it's really just that. So you're an independent contractor. Your source of income is coming from various projects, and I think the difference when you think about freelancing, there's at least this sense that the projects are smaller, more frequent and you have many more clients. So it's not like you've gone off on your own and you have the same two clients you've had for the last 10 years. Okay, that's really not freelancing. It's it's more dynamic, it's more trans, transient. And what I've seen happen over the last couple of decades is there used to be very bright lines. You were a full-time employee, you were a, an independent contractor through an agency, uh, or you were an independent consultant that sort of hung up your own shingle. and there was very little movement between those. And typically what you'd see is it was a full-time employee that moved into one of those other things because they did not like the, the rigor or the structure of one, empl one employer full-time kind of thing. And what I'm seeing now is there's, there's a different, I think di people have different needs in different phases of their life. And there's much more mobility between these types of roles. And and there's much more mobility within companies to leverage these contingent workforces because one, they so the, the straw that broke the camel's back is the talent more. So mm -hmm. if you physically cannot find a full-time person, freelancing is an option. It's a, usually a very viable option if you just can't find anybody else. Uh, and it tends to be more affordable than the agencies that take a fairly big cut above and beyond the individual. Um, so we talked about in the book, the big, the big disintermediation that's occurred with freelancing is that 
you can do, you can reach more people globally, leveraging technology platforms, communication platforms, you can deliver your work mobily so much easier than you could 20 years ago. So freelancing is a much more viable option now. And we're seeing more and more people shift away from being beholden to an agent that's going to take their 40, 50, 100% cut, and they can just market themselves take more of that home and still give the client a much more reasonable rate. So that's that's the shift that we've seen. Is that helpful? That's completely helpful. Yeah, I think yeah. I think you know you look at it and you say using the tools we have today the ability to freelance is significantly way more impactful. I mean, easier than it's ever been before. Yeah. I mean, I say that I've I've had coaching clients in the past that have been continents away. And I'm up at three o'clock in the morning having these mean, incredible, impactful meetings with them. We're working, we're talking. And I'm like, this would have never been possible 10, 15 years ago. Like it just like, and the projects or if the, if I need to do my research or something comes up, I mean, it's all available. Like there's, there's no excuse for not having any knowledge. You can learn almost anything you want if you're willing to put the time into it. So as, and let's go from, from an executive point, like if I want to find the right freelancer, and 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 you said freelancers are marketing themselves. I hear that, Matt, and I'm like, dude, salespeople are the best, the best salespeople in their lives when it comes to selling themselves. Like they're going to tell you, I'm the greatest person <laughs> on planet Earth, and I can do X, Y, Z. Like, how do I decipher through the BS and truly find a a expert freelancer that's going to be impactful for my project? And and I guess the follow up to that is, if this person's so good, is there a benefit to taking that person from a freelancer, bringing them on board? Or do I keep them in that freelancer space, knowing sure, it's a, sure. you know, it's a, it's a delicate relationship. They can leave me at yeah. any given time. That's right. Yeah. So on on your first point, there's this a concept as well called portable um, portable merit or merit portability. It used to be that the resume was really our best vehicle to demonstrate what we've done in the past. It isn't really vetted. To your point, you can put whatever you want on a resume, short of outright lying, and and generally get away with it. It's it's opaque. And you can't really validate it. And so you've got to seek references and things like that. The, the beauty with things like social media, LinkedIn, uh, the, the platforms for freelance like Upwork and others, is it's like Amazon. You're putting yourself out there and you're getting reviews. People are commenting on you. Like your work is getting validated. And that is really, you know, short of obviously having conversations and getting to know the person, it is a great way to really pass that first hump. And if someone, you might find that person that, is coming across and, and purporting things that they really can't deliver on and they haven't been found out yet, but that cycle is getting shorter and shorter. So generally speaking, you find someone that's talented and, and it's been corroborated from the sort of wisdom of the crowds, then generally it's more spot on. And there are, I'll say there are agencies, uh, sales enable and marketing. There's a, a website called Hello Moss. And we actually, we interviewed the CEO and founder who's out of Amsterdam. And she talked about their model is they are they hire out freelancers for marketing and sales enablement, but they vet every single one first. So it's not this loose platform where anybody can show up and sign in. They're actually running them through the paces. They're doing sample projects and they're building that experience before they turn them over to a client. So there's sort of like an agency model, but again, it's using technology. It's much much cheaper. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So it's... I think there'll be yeah I think there'll be something like that for sales. I don't know if there is yet. To be honest, yeah. Put that in the entrepreneur data bank there. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Ted Mark, pen that. 
<laughs> mark that note down. Let's reference this show in November. <laughs> but it's 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 funny. I mean, it's not funny. It's the truth, Matt. You look at it and you say, okay, we are constantly changing. And and you know, I, I'm I'm not sure if you've read the article, and I read it a few years ago. I'm a butcher who wrote it, but it was in the Oxford. It was done a study by Oxford University that talked the future of employment and what had the capability of being automated, what wasn't going to be automated. And I mean, I, if I recall this, the paper is 20 years old now, 15 years old now. And it's it's coming reality. Now, not everything in that paper is, you know, this is you know, not everything in that paper. They're not Nostradamus. Everything's accurate. But the future really does say, OK, how are we changing and how do I stay, you know, how do I stay attractive as a sales professional, as a sales executive, as a sales leader in this new space? And what you're saying, bottom line, technology is going to need to be our friend. Like we're going to have to learn all the technical spaces and how to excel in that. Yes. Yes. I, I don't think anyone, anyone in any profession in this includes lawyers, doctors, et cetera. Everybody needs to be technology proficient, not experts, just proficient. Yeah. And I think too, the relationships, obviously relationships, you know, that's stating the obvious, but that are key, but we talk almost about building a tribe. And in our last chapter of the book, we talk about building a tribe. And it's what we mean by that is finding those confidants across industries, across disciplines that you can call on. And it's your network. But having a much broader network than what we may have 30 or 40 years ago when we stayed in one industry and one company for our entire lives, our networks were very isolated and local. So I would encourage salespeople and sales leaders, network with professionals in sales in different industries, other product lines, other geographies, like go, go broad, but build deep connections with those individuals and they will serve you well moving forward because we're all going to become, including executives, we're all going to be more portable in the future than certainly we were uh, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, I think, I think that networking component you, you, you mentioned different sectors. Uh, salespeople, go network with your IT department. Go network with your HR. I mean, it Absolutely. is, we have to build this team, right? This spider web of people who are fans for you, right? I mean, you, you want a raving fan of your work because projects are growing, technology is changing. And if you are in that corporate America space, you never know when your sales division may or may not be on the chopping block. Like you you want to have, hey, I know Anthony is really profound in this skill or has done this. I think he'd be great on this new project we're, we're working on. I mean, it's it's the ugly reality, right? Work is changing. We have to stay advanced on it. We have to use technology. We have to find ways to to innovate. So much so, and I, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. I'm Matt, I am part of a bunch of like sales groups on Facebook and different things. And every now and then when I want to entertain myself, there's a sales group of people in that, and they've I love car salespeople, but I've shared with the car salespeople. I think I think you are first up on the chopping block to be completely automated and excluded. And they fight. I mean, they fire back at me so hard. I mean, I've I have said that, and I've gotten reviews for my book that have been negative. I mean, they attack me. I'm like, ouch, all right, guys. Ouch. I'm just saying. Like, I think 100. I mean, I I just bought a car this week. I did everything online, other than going in and, and picking up the car. It was it was pretty done online, and the the car salesperson was really just like. Hey, is this what you looked at online? Kind of. That was it. There was no, it just doesn't exist. So it's like, re, it's like realtors too. And I look mm. at realtors and I'm like, oh my gosh, these people are cleaning up 
And some, I mean, some of them work super hard and I'm not disparaging all of them, but some of them, they just show up glad hand with a cup of coffee and they made $50,000 in a transaction. And, but all of it, the, the people did the finding, the lawyers did the contracts, the title company did the, everybody else did everything. And your point, all the information is out there now. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, yeah. If you're, if you're in a information parody space, look out. hundred <laughs> percent. I, and it's happened. It's happening in corporate too. That is the one thing I've seen in the last five years. Corporate buyers are much, much more sophisticated than they were even five or 10 years ago. And the information, it, that opaqueness to pricing and things like that is starting to go away. And that's, I, I love to see it. I love to see it because it then lets you have more earnest, real conversations uh, with your clients. Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's everywhere. Automation's taking place, guys. Get in front of it. Ensure that you're staying. Ensure that you are staying attractive. Ensure that you are sharpening the tools for who you are. Right. If the company you're working with isn't, there's freelance opportunities. At the end of the day, you as a sales professional, as a sales leader, you need to be the best version of yourself, regardless of what names on your business card, what name is after your email. Because truth be told, the talent war is on. And if you ever think it's not, trust me. Just make yourself available online. You'll see everyone has something for you to work on. Catapult to commissions family. Matt Cotney, join me today for the uh, Catapulting Commission's uh, sales podcast with myself, I guess, me, myself. Sorry, wrapping up, had some coffee in my mouth. Uh, Human Cloud. Guys, go and get it. It's available. You'll find the link. Matt, where can people learn more about you? Sure. Easiest place is LinkedIn. Very active there. Matt Cotney, hard to miss. So look forward to engaging. Please reach out. Love to Love to hear from you. Perfect. Catapult Commissions family, go do myself. Go do me a favor. Go get connected with Matt. Pick up the human cloud and you know what to do. Like, subscribe, comment, and I will see you next week. Catapulting Commissions family, that does it for today's episode. If you found some value, please be sure to head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. Don't forget to subscribe. That way you're notified of new episodes. If you want to see the video portion of this podcast, head over to YouTube and look up Catapulting Commissions Podcast. Finally, if you want a free copy of Catapulting Commissions, be sure to text the word HELLO to 661-228-8967. Again, text the word HELLO to 661-228-8967. Thanks for listening to the show. I'll see you next week.